You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If you know what anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You see what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people on planet Earth. And what are, what are they? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle for equality, the struggle for economic equality and the struggle for equality in decision-making processes. So if you're involved in, those, in any of those struggles, whether you like it or not, you're an anarchist because you're there to break down hierarchy. You're there to create a more egalitarian community. And talking about egalitarian community and the discussion to put the public before the private on every available indicator, I'd like to offer my condolences, uh, sincere condolences, to the family of uh, Robert Ely. Now, Robert Ely was a... uh, constant here at uh, Community Radio 3CR. He was co-host of the DOGS program, Defence of Government School program. He's been early 50s. He's been battling kidney cancer for a number of years and he died last week. Now, Robert was courageous. He was committed to the concept of putting the public before the private. His special interest was in um, public education. Even when he was in hospital on his deathbed, his mother, Jean Ely, and uh, Dale Bridge, who produce the Dogs program here on Saturday at Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. He was actually participating in the program through Zoom. So it was a lifelong quest of his to put the public before the private, especially in the public education sector, because he understood implicitly that you need a well-funded public education sector in order to bring forward the struggle for equality. And uh, in our country, we're almost uh, unique. You like that? Tautology, almost unique in terms of using government money to fund private education at the expense of the public sector, increasing the divide between Australians, ensuring that this divide continues over generations. And people like Robert Ely were fundamental to that struggle to bring these ideas back into the public domain because during the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation era, 
what we have seen is that these ideas have been put into the dustbin of history and it's only organisations like Community Radio, people like Robert Ely, people like who who run the DOGS program, the Defence of Government Schools program, who are at the forefront of uh, being involved in that struggle. Now, Robert's mother, who's in her 80s, has spent most of her life promoting public education and has a tribute to her son. She'll be doing a um, presentation at the Fellows and Associates Seminar at the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne on the 25th of November on from 5.30 to 6.30pm from Carmel to Gonski, the quest for equality in Australian education. This is a, a Zoom presentation. It's a Zoom presentation. And uh, if you look it up, you'll be able to hook on to the... Uh, it's an online Zoom meeting. Hopefully, when all this COVID-19 stuff is over, we'll be able to have a real presentation, not just a virtual presentation. So uh, all I can say, Robert, is I knew you over many, many decades here at Community Radio 3CR. You will be missed. Um, I'm sure many of the listeners to the Anarchist World this week uh, across the country on the Community Radio a satellite will also miss your contribution to that struggle for equality in the public space. Rest in peace, Robert Ely. Now let's move on. The death of Robert got me thinking about the role of public education in this country. And it got me thinking more importantly about life in Australia. And the great phrase that is used constantly in this country is equality of opportunity. Not equality, but equality of opportunity. In reality, life in Australia, for a significant number of people, and I'm not talking about a marginalised minority, but a significant number of people, life is a handicap race. It's a handicap race. And usually in a handicap race, if you're a sporting fanatic, what it means is that you put more weight on the poor horse in order to ensure there is a race because the more weight on the horse, the less chance it's going to win that race. And that's what makes gambling on the horses uh, such a, uh, you know, spectacle, if we call it a spectacle, okay? So it's about handicap. So in horse racing, it's about putting weights on the best to ensure that almost all the horses in that race have a chance of winning the race. But the great thing about being a human being is that when we look at life in Australia for a significant number of people, 
It's the other way round. And that's why public interest before corporate interest was formed initially in 2015 to change the equation. So instead of putting the weights on those that are three lengths in front of everybody else, what we do in life in Australia in 2020 and what we've done over the last 40 to 50 years, we've actually put the weights on the backs of those who are exploited in order to ensure they will never catch up with the born to rule brigade and it starts with it starts in preschool it starts in kindergarten because we have a system which rewards those who have power and wealth we have a system which relegates everybody else to the margins. So unlike horse racing, where the best horses are handicapped in order to make a race, which people can bet on, in life, we put the weight on those people who are born in a situation where assistance is required in order to ensure they catch up and maybe pass those that are born with all the advantages. And it's not just a matter of public education. I mean, we have a public education system people like Robert and his mother Jean struggled against for decades that gives money taxpayers' money to the private sector ahead of resources to the public sector. We also have a private education system which uses these government funds not only to provide the best education possible for their little darlings, it also poaches, that's right, poaches gifted children in the public sector by offering them scholarships to private schools so they can be inculcated with the philosophy of that particular school. That doesn't mean everybody who goes to a private school is inculcated with that philosophy, but it is a mechanism via which to ensure that the divisions within society grow and grow and grow. Because if children don't mix at the very early stages of their lives, children of all socioeconomic uh, situations, if they do not mix, then what hope do we have in the future? Now, life is also a handicap race in a number of ways. For example, and you may not have thought of this, but being a doctor for over almost five decades, I'm confronted with this every day. So the thing is, in the good old days, all right, the good old days, which never existed, 
we had the rich were fat and the poor were skinny because they were starving. The rich were fat because they had access to the best. And all you've got to do is look at the cartoon characters in the 19th century and you can actually see the reality in life. In Australia, it's not the whole world, because there are many people who are still in the rest of the world who are skinny because they don't have enough calorific intake, enough food. But in Australia, we've changed the equation. The poor have problems with obesity. The rich don't. And why is that that's occurred? It's very simple. In order to have a high-protein diet, to a significant degree, you need money. You need disposable income. Most people with no disposable income rely on mass-produced packaged food which is full of sugar and carbohydrates. End of story. Now, obviously, it's not everybody who's poor is fat and not everybody who's rich is skinny. But the reality is that in terms of numbers, we find that people who have problems having enough resources to survive rely on manufactured products in order to survive and their children rely on those manufactured products in order to survive because they're cheap because of the way they are manufactured. But as far as calorific intake and as far as uh, health is concerned, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't help. So when you look at life as a handicapped race in this country, you can look at all different subsections. You look at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Now, people like to th- use the word disadvantaged, you know? Disadvantaged. Now, I've banned that word because if somebody is disadvantaged that means that somehow they will be able you know they're disadvantaged because of their maybe their racial origins because they're a refugee because they're aboriginal because they're Torres Strait Islander because they're disabled they're disadvantaged it somehow glosses the exploitative relationships in our society. People are not disadvantaged. They are actively exploited. And nothing highlights this more than what is happening as we move down the COVID-19 journey. That as we emerge from the COVID-19 disaster, we are seeing those who exercise power and hold wealth in their hands using COVID-19 as a mechanism via which to continue to devise, marginalise and pauperise significant sections of the population. We see it every day. So people aren't disadvantaged, they're exploited. When the federal government gives $1.2 billion gift, corporate welfare, the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, 
a public company which was privatised by Mr Keating in June 1994, whose share market value is around $315 per share when it was floated by the Keating regime, it was two ninety nine a share, two dollars ninety nine a share. You can understand what I talk about when I talk about life as a handicap race, because we have more and more and more and more and more taxpayers' funds diverted, not just to the private sector, smalls business, but more and more taxpayers' funds diverted into the pockets of the corporate sector at the expense of the community as a whole. So if you like me and many other activists, alive and dead, who are sick and tired of the lies, the half-truths that we're surrounded with Constantly, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, 366 days in a leap year. If you're sick and tired of the divisive politics in this country which pit people against each other because of where they come, the language they speak, their racial origins, their gender, their sexual orientation, and the list goes on and on. If you're sick of that, and you're sick of us living in a country which should be on every available indicator, the richest country on the planet, where each and every Australian, each and every citizen, each and every resident, each and every refugee and asylum seeker should be in a position to have the best life possible because of our unlimited natural resources that are currently exploited for the benefits of a particularly, particularly minuscule small minority who likes to cover themselves in glory by being philanthropists. It's easy to be a bloody philanthropist when you don't pay tax. It's just so easy. Well, then I encourage you, as a number of people have been doing over the past few weeks, and I've been encouraged to see the increasing numbers of people who are joining public interest before corporate interest, to get involved in an organisation which is interested, wants to, put the interests of the many, that's the public, before the interests of the few, and it is not just interested in extra parliamentary activity, but is also interested in breaking down the Liberal Labor coalition which currently sings the praises of the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation brigade. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. You want a few sites? Well, if you want to join public interest before corporate interest, go to pibci.net. You can download the application form by going to Pipsy. If you can't download the application form or you're not computer interested in computers and you want an application form, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. 
You can always write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Don't forget, The Anarchist World this week is podcast, and I'm pleased with the number of people who are now accessing the podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you can't listen to the program live, if you can't listen to the program streaming around the world on 3cr.org.au, you can always go to the podcast and you can direct your friends and enemies to the podcast, 3cr.org.au. AU. Go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the Public. You can go to Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing Everybody's Business, anarchistmedia.org, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So if you say, well, there's nothing I can do, well, there is. There is something you can do. And in many regards, I don't blame the people who exercise power. In many regards, we find ourselves in this situation as a community because the majority of us has, have believed the garbage. And it is garbage, total garbage, that privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation and deregulation is good for the population. We're all trying to access the dream. But the dream gets harder and harder to access, let alone touch and feel. But in a virtual world, maybe that's what they want us to believe. Let's move on. Now, a lot of people say to me, why do you bother celebrating the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion, which occurred on the 3rd of December 1854, 166 years ago. Why bother? Why should I fly up a Eureka flag on the day? Why should I spare a moment to think about those people who died on that day? Why should I worry or be concerned or interested in something that happened 166 years ago? Let's do a little bit of a history lesson. Not a long history lesson because I'm sure you're tired of listening about the Eureka Rebellion on the Anarchist World this week. Not that you'll hear about it anywhere else. And I can assure you on the 3rd of December, which is uh, Thursday coming, if you're listening to this program on the 25th of November, I can assure you that on the 3rd of December that uh, 99.9% of our public officials, politicians commentators, media outlets won't even mention the fact. And in the great city of Ballarat, which gains its full fortunes and fame, which uses the Eureka symbols to maximise its private profits, they don't even fly the Eureka flag on the main flagpole. And that's the key, on the main flagpole on the Ballarat City Hall, and they have never flown the Eureka flag on the main flagpole of the Ballarat City Hall in the 166-year history of the rebellion, but they are happy to use the symbols of the rebellion to, you know, highlight their public and private institutions. So let's get back to the Eureka Rebellion. The Eureka Rebellion was fomented by the Ballarat Reform League, which was formed on the 11th of November 1854. And many of the Ballarat Reform League 
um, demands were demands which were raised by the Chartists in England in the 1830s. Universal male suffrage, paid representation, and the list goes on and on. Now, the real reason why the rebellion took off was the fact there was a free media in Ballarat. For a population of less than 30,000, there were five independent news sheets, four of which fully supported the demands of the Ballarat Reform League. And the interesting thing about the Eureka Rebellion is the how the rebellion was organised and what are the basic principles. And the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Committee, what we do is we highlight those four basic symbols, those basic building blocks of society which are highlighted in the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. That's right. And fight to defend our rights and liberties. So the Eureka Rebellion is based on four fundamental building blocks which have nothing to do with Australia in 2020, which have led the fact that we have denied these fundamental building blocks, that we have allowed the earth to gather over them and obliterate them from the public memory, it has denied us the building blocks that are required to create an egalitarian community, a community where there aren't any exploited, a community where we don't see a small minority hold the wealth and power. And these building blocks are very simple. One is direct democracy. The Eureka Rebellion was based on the concept of direct democracy. Mass meetings were held, decisions were made, delegates were appointed, delegates returned to the mass meetings, reported back to these mass meetings after their discussions with the Hotham-led government in Melbourne. So direct, direct democracy was a fundamental aspect of the way they organised their struggle. Another central plank which we have conveniently forgotten and our brothers and sisters who somehow think the, the Eureka Rebellion, not just our, our brothers and sisters, not just on the left and the right, but in society as a whole, who have usurped the symbols, who somehow think the Eureka Rebellion was some type of white supremacist revolt, need to think again. And that's the beauty about the Eureka Rebellion. There's been fascinating accounts written over generations, generations of people who have understood the significance. And a fundamental building block of the Eureka Rebellion was internationalism, that people came together despite their religious beliefs, their racial origins, the countries they came from. They came together because of their common oppression. And it's no accident that the first man of the 13 people who were tried for high treason in 1855, the first man tried... John Joseph, who was accused of shooting the deputy commander of the troops who died six weeks later of his wounds, John Joseph, was a freed black 
slave from New York. And he was found not guilty by the people of Melbourne and chaired by thousands through the streets of Melbourne outside the Supreme Court building, which had just been built in 1855, by thousands, chaired across the streets of Melbourne. Nobody cared that he was black. What they cared about was the fact that he stood with them, that he was in that enclosure, that he put his life on the line. It was the same with the others. We had Jews. We had another black man from Kingston, Jamaica. We had one native-born Australian, people from every, every corner of the earth who'd come together because of their oppression. Think about it. Internationalism, direct democracy. Mutual aid is the third plank. The whole purpose of the trade union movement when some poorly educated agricultural workers took an oath in England, I think it was in 1826, and were deported to Australia for trying to form a trade union. Mutual aid is the concept behind trade unionism. And it wasn't for the trade union movement in this country, irrespective of its shortcomings. It wasn't for the trade union movement in this country. We wouldn't be enjoying some, if not many, of the conditions and pay that we enjoy today, although there has been a concerted effort over the last four decades to destroy not only the trade union movement, but everything the trade union movement has fought and won over the years. So mutual aid is a central plank of the Eureka Rebellion. Mutual aid, people coming together to form a band, to form a bundle, so they cannot be broken like individual twigs. And that's the difference between individual contracts and an agreement which is based on membership of a trade union. It is so easy, so easy for an employer, especially a corporate-based employer, to break an individual it's a bit harder when people come together to look after their mutual interests. So the third foundation stone which has been buried in the last 166 years, the third foundation stone is mutual aid. And the last but not least is direct action. What is more direct than taking up arms to defend what you believe are your inalienable rights and liberties? In 2020, if there's one thing you've all learnt because of the COVID-19 crisis, and I thank the COVID-19 crisis for actually opening people's eyes to this, is the fact that you have no liberties under the Australian Constitution. Every liberty you think you enjoy is not protected by the Constitution. There is no protection for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. And we saw the amount of power the state was able to exercise and the forces it was able to marshal as it moved from a state of emergency to a state of disaster. And if you think these types of powers will only ever be used 
for a health crisis in order to contain a pandemic. Think again. Do you think if public interest before corporate interest becomes a significant organisation in this country, that if you do you think that if we want to break down corporate power, that somehow they will not use the same laws to try to defeat us? Because those laws are on the statute books. Because all it takes is a majority in both houses and parliament for blue-eyed two-year-old children to be jailed indefinitely because they're blue-eyed and they're two-year-olds. It's that simple. If you don't believe me, ask a constitutional lawyer, but make sure you've got $10,000 in your pocket before you get your answer, so you may as well get your answer from me. So these are the thunder four fundamental principles of the Eureka Rebellion, principles that have been buried under tons of lies and distortions. Internationalism, direct democracy, direct action, mutual aid. So in a small band of us, and it'll be a small band this year because of the COVID-19, continuing COVID-19 restrictions, gather at Eureka Park at 4am on Thursday the 3rd of December at the very spot the Eureka Rebellion took place and the very spot which is soaked in blood of those people who died on that day. We will pay homage not only to those who died and those who have carried forth that struggle, but we will pay homage to those central principles, those foundation stones, those essential planks which are part of that struggle for equality, which are part of that struggle to end exploitation in this country and around the world. And that is direct action, direct democracy, internationalism and mutual aid. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And if you are interested in coming to Ballarat, has restrictions become, become eased, we are having a modified celebration this year. We normally have a 16-hour extravaganza, but we didn't know what restrictions would be in place and what isn't. So we are having the dawn ceremony from 4am to 6am at Eureka Park at the corner of Eureka and Stool Street in Ballarat. Just turn up. Communal breakfast after that. Please bring food and drinks. I mean, we're not there catering for people. Please bring your own food and drinks. At 12 o'clock... If you can't make it for the, for the AM ceremony, and I can understand that, it's a bit of a hassle. At four at midday, we'll be meeting at the old Ballarat Cemetery at the grave site, the mass grave of the about 50% of the Eureka rebels who died on that morning to pay our respects, to talk about why we are there. These are low-key ceremonies. Just turn up. And I'd just like to remind people that we're not there to cause friction with the people of Ballarat. We're there to honour these people and we will be observing all COVID-19 restrictions which are in place at that particular point in time. And that night we'll be having a small dinner, not the usual extravaganza with entertainment, but a small dinner. So if you're interested in uh, having been part of the Eureka Dinner, starts at 6pm at the Queen's Head Hotel in Humphrey Street in Ballarat. 
give me a call because it's essential that we uh, know the numbers because obviously there are restrictions in the restaurant, in the pub, regarding the number of people they're actually able to have and uh, they obviously need the numbers in order to organise the staff. So give us a ring on 0439 395 489 and make a booking. And you don't have to ring me. You can always um, email me at uh, info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Very nice to, uh, if you can pre-book so we can ensure that there is a seat for you on the evening. It'll be a, you know, a low-key dinner. It's a low-key day, but we will be celebrating the radical nature of the Eureka Rebellion. Because let's not forget, over the years, people in many areas of life, not just people in authority, have done everything they can to water down the radical nature of the Eureka Rebellion. It is our festival. And if we do not remember those people who made that ultimate sacrifice... We deserve never to succeed. We need to remember the past to understand the present and change the future. And that's what the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations is all about. Now, I will mention it again next week, a day before. Now, talking about the Eureka Rebellion, there is another rebellion which is going on right now as I speak, which has been going on for decades. And that's the West Papuan Rebellion. And six years ago, my late wife, Ellen Jose, and myself, we formed the West Papuan Rent Collective. And the whole purpose of the West Papuan Rent Collective was to ensure that West Papuan activists in this country had a base from which they could organise to achieve independence and liberation in West Papua. And for the last almost six years, that office at 838 Collins Street in Docklands has been an organising centre for the West Papua independence movement, not just in this country, but around the world. It plays a pivotal role in that independence struggle. And as the United Movement of Liberation for West Papua goes from strength to strength, the importance of that office cannot be understated. And our goal in setting up the Rent Collective was to ensure that West Papuan activists had the freedom to develop and extend that struggle as they saw fit. This is an association which is based on mutual trust, it's an association which is based on the concept that we pay the rent. The people of Australia pay the rent. And the West Papuans in this country and overseas use that space in order to promote that independence struggle. And if you look at the population of Papua New Guinea, which is about 3.2 million, and look at the population of Indigenous West Papuans, which is almost less than a million, you can see... What's happened through direct armed intervention, through massacres, through slaughter, through disease, through starvation to the West Papuan people? 
And it pains me today. It pains me today to tell you there is a very real possibility that the West Papuan office will have to close within the next six months. Because with the COVID-19 crisis, the number of people in the West Papuan rent collective has dropped by about a third and we need another 20 to 25 members in order to keep the office open. And if you don't believe me, or if you want to see before you pay or buy, I encourage you to come along to the West Papuan Office Day, which will start at 1pm on Sunday, the 6th of December, at 838 Collins Street, at the back, at the atrium. Lunch at 1pm, then a bevy of guest speakers. And if you are listening to this program on the 25th of November, irrespective of where you're listening to the program around Australia, on your local community radio station, this afternoon at 4pm I'll be conducting an interview with Carl Lundstrom, a Swedish journalist who will be interviewing Mr Waromi, who's the first appointed Prime Minister of a transitional West Papuan government. So the West Papuan independence struggle, COVID-19, is going ahead strongly. There are moves to put the question of West Papua on the UN decolonisation list. There are many moves. There is direct action and military struggle in West Papua itself. The actual United Liberation Movement of West Papua means that all the different factions have come together in that struggle for independence. And most importantly of all, all those migrants that have come to West Papua from the rest of Indonesia are welcome in West Papua post-independence. There is no move as the Indonesian government continues to stay to expel them. Unlike the Indonesian authorities attempts to eradicate West Papuan culture and people. They are happy to incorporate those people living in West Papua who have migrated into their society. So I encourage you to come to the West Papuan Independence Movement Office gathering, celebration at 1pm on the 6th of December. And I encourage you to join the West Papuan Rent Collective. It's a dollar a day. A dollar a day. You pay $3.50, $4.50 for a bloody cafe latte. I'm sure most people, and many many of the people who are now currently in the Rent Collective are actually pensioners. People on limited income. It's surprising how few rich people are willing to donate a dollar a day to keep the West Papuan office in Docklands open, while so many of our listeners who are on limited incomes make that sacrifice of donating a dollar a day to being a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective to keep that office open. And that office is a pain in the rear end to the Australian government. It's a pain in the rear end to Indonesian authorities.
It's a pain in the rear end of all those corporations which are currently exploiting West Papua's massive natural resources, minerals, timber, fish, and the list goes on and on. I mean, if West Papua didn't have any resources, I'm sure it would have been independent decades ago. So if you want to join the West Papua Independence uh, uh, Rent Collective, there are a number of ways you can do it. You can go to their website and join. Uh, the website is DFAT, D-F-A-I-T, Federal Republic of West Papua.org. You can give me a ring on 0439. 0439- Three nine five four eight nine, and I'll pass you on the details. Now you can donate anonymously. You can do it through any branch of the Commonwealth Bank. You can do it electronically. You can do it virtually. You can do it physically. So you can do it. It's a dollar a day. You can donate monthly. You can donate weekly. You can donate in one lump sump, one lump sum, as I say. But again, we don't send out reminders. We don't hassle you. It's based on trust. Being a member of the Rent Collective is based on trust. If you make that obligation, we expect that you will carry out your promise. There won't be any phone calls, any emails, any letters telling you why haven't you paid up. It's up to you. And that's the way life should be. And talking about trust, I'd like just to move on. I'd like to do one little COVID-19 article every week. Now, obviously, we now all know that a Spanish man on a student visa lied to the COVID-19 traces in South Australia and obviously is extremely sorry. Now, look, I've been involved in public health for a long, long, long time. And public health covers a wide variety of communicable diseases, AIDS, hepatitis, There are many diseases that have come across your table. You are obliged legally to contact the authorities so that individuals' movements and contacts can be traced, so they can be warned about the possibility that they may have contracted AIDS, they may have contracted uh, hepatitis, and the list goes on and on. There's a long list. The fundamental concept which is important in all Tracing, not just COVID-19 tracing, is absolute trust, confidentiality, confidentiality. And we went through the AIDS crisis. We understood fundamentally that without confidentiality and absolute trust, individuals are not going to give up their contacts. Because we're all involved in activities which may be illegal, activities we're not proud of, activities which society can frown on, activities to which there is a cost, a personal cost. 
And unless there is absolute trust and confidentiality, you cannot trace the evolution and the spread of a disease in society, a communicable disease in society. You cannot do it. Now, I remember in Victoria, when a section of this community contacted, contracted COVID-19, that particular community was very hesitant in providing details because of the possibility of prosecution. And it was only when the government said, we will not prosecute, that they were able to give out the information and contain the spread of that disease in that particular area in Melbourne. So Public Health 101 is very simple. If you have a disease which can be transmitted from human to human, if that disease has an impact on those around you and you want to trace the spread of that disease, it's not about using a big stick, it's not about jailing people, it's not about threatening people, it's about giving them absolute trust and confidentiality that irrespective of what they did, that will be a matter between them and the tracer and nobody else. And what's happening in South Australia indicates how much we have forgotten about public health. As we saw in Victoria, where everybody is now celebrating because we've been, you know, disease-free for almost, what, 28 days and there is no active COVID-19 case in Victoria currently, what we learned is that you need that confidentiality. You need to be able, the people who've got the disease will give you their contacts if they can trust that you will, as a society, protect them. And ultimately, everybody, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And last but not least, I'd like to make an appeal to the gig slaves and those people who employ the slaves. Now, I had the opportunity yesterday of having half an hour of rest, which is unusual, and I'll sit in the back of a restaurant, which you can do, or really a takeaway place. And as I was munching on my zucchini, that's right, pathetic, isn't it? As I was munching on the zucchini late at night, I saw these people with helmets and dark clothes. I liked it was helmets and dark clothes. And they'd walk up to the front counter. I was at the back of the restaurant. It was my back to the wall, just in case you came in and tried to beat me up. I could run into the toilet. But uh, I saw these people and they'd flash their phones at the people behind the counter and they would go away and bring them a paper bag and off they'd go. You know? This is the great 20th century innovation. Here we have... Slaves, individual contractors. Now, if that individual contractor in their dark clothes got run over that night, yesterday, got over that night, no compensation whatsoever for their family. They're individual contractors. They get minimum wages. And we see this all over Australia. The gig economy is a con. It is 19th century capitalism at its very basic. And if you use 
that type of economy to get your takeaway and you can't be bothered to go down there in order, think again because you're contributing to this concept that, you know, that deunionizes workplaces, that creates this type of environment where people are constantly exploited. It was a real lesson for me. Now, obviously, I know about the gig economy, but I'm telling you, it will be the death knell of everything that we have won through struggle over the past 200 years in this country if we allow it to continue ad nauseum. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Once again, I'd like to convey my sincere condolences to the family of Robert Ely, a uh, broadcaster here at 3CR in Melbourne, a man who died in his early 50s of the complications of kidney carcinoma, had been struggling with the disease for almost five years, uh, a co-presenter of the DOGS program, Defence of Government School program. So I'd like to, again, offer my condolences. just like to remind you that his mother, Jean Ely, is presenting a paper on, from Carmel to Gonski, The Quest for Equality in Australian Education at the University of Melbourne. It's a Zoom, online Zoom meeting from 5.30pm to 6.30pm. So I would like you to have a look at that, if you can. I mean, she's doing it in, in memory of her son, who was a great advocate for public education. As I said at the beginning of the program, he was actually broadcasting from his sickbed while he was dying. Zoom broadcasting on the program here at Community Radio 3C. I'd like to thank all those folk, the Community Radio Network, who help the Anarchist World this week to be broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Just like to remind you, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. If you want to join the West Park and Wren Collective Please give me a call and I'll give you the details. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to a number of Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, Defending Extent Public Housing, Public Housing, Everybody's Business. If you're interested in putting the future of the many before the future of the few, then join Pipsy. Public interest before corporate interest. Go to pipsy.net, download the application form. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. I'm uh, Once again, I'm honoured to be able to speak to you via the Community Radio Network. Hopefully this conversation, well, it's a one-way conversation, monologue, will assist you in uh, determining what is important in your life and will assist you in picking a path that will allow you to uh, change your life and the life of the people around you. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.